Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, February 27th, 2022, called Just Jesus, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger on Transfiguration Sunday. The scripture passage comes from the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 29. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. God's grace and his mercy and his peace are yours in Jesus. Um, there's an outline if you want to follow along. You know what? You got, your, you got your bulletin there? Go to that statement of faith real quick. So here's the challenge when we do this. You know, we, we make you say stuff in our faith tradition. And, if, and sometimes all of us, if you grew up in this church, anybody willing to confess there are times sometimes you weren't paying attention? Um, right? Me too. So here's why we did it this way, this a little bit different way. Part of it is so that we would pay attention, but also because today is a day where Jesus is held up in tremendous glory, right? This is the transfigured. You heard it. Jesus is on the mountaintop. It's a mountaintop moment. And the voice says, this is my son. Pay attention, would you? Pay attention. And it's almost like I imagine those moments where, you know, Clark Kent is running along and right? And the Superman, you know, this is where that glory of God comes out. So what that was, was we focused in on just the second part of the creed, which focuses in on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But then the, what does this mean? Who knows where that's from? That's from a catechism, a small catechism in which we say, Hey, let's unpack that and tell you what that means. So this is true God, true man. He purchased and won me, not with money, but he purchased me with his own blood. And so that's what, how we try to do that, to remind us of those things that are so important. So just so you know why we, why we kind of put that in there and make you do stuff. I, I, even as the pastor, have to sometimes remember, okay, come on, don't just think about the next thing you're doing. Pay attention to what you're doing in here. So, um, and that's a challenge that I have myself. So if you want to follow along on the outline, it's right after that. And we're at the last, we're in transfiguration. I, I love the rhythm of a church year that we have. I just love it. You can see how it's exampled here. We have banners, they have symbols, certain colors. Transfiguration Sunday, we bring out the white because that elevates the person and the work of Christ, the divinity of Christ. Um, and I, I love the pattern that it goes. Uh, it goes in seasons, it ebbs and flows. And so now we are at this culminating moment of what's called the epiphany season as Christ is revealed to the whole world, right? To the wise men, and to the whole world and the people of Israel. And then we go into Lent. And, and Lent is not designed to make you feel rotten about yourself. Lent is designed to help us remember just how much we need Jesus. And how wonderful and gracious he is in his mercy and unconditional love. So just so you know, that'll start this Wednesday. So this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And we're one of those faith traditions that does ashes. We burn the palms from Palm Sunday. And we use those ashes Uh, with these words, right? Dust you are, to dust you shall return. We remember that in the fall into sin, we became mortal. And thanks be to God, God has intervened and then given us eternal life in Jesus Christ. So I just love the season. Sorry, I'm a geek uh, that way. And I just, I do want to remind, if you're watching us online, welcome. If you're at Grace Place Community, they've been in quarantine, might keep them in prayers too. Um, Welcome. We're delighted that you're joining us. So here's the thing. I, I looked this week for some great halftime speeches, halftime pep talks, 
And I spent some time and I found like a half dozen of them and I couldn't show any of them to you in church. Uh, actually, I'm afraid I, I would be embarrassed to do so. So, um, and because they vary, you know, they vary. Uh, one of them I found that I, that I really kind of liked, I thought was, was pretty neat, was the Miracle on Ice, Herb Brooks in 1980 when the college kids beat the Soviet Union, you know, that's kind of timely right now in some ways. Um, we gotta, we'll be praying for that. The, the, the heartache and the hurt in our world, it, it reminds us, doesn't it? I, I think sometimes, I said this in Bible class, sadly, Jesus said there will always be wars and rumors of wars, and sometimes I don't think we took Jesus seriously. I think we might have thought after World War II or something or whatever, maybe we're really done with those kinds of things, and I wish it was so, but evil in the world continues to raise its head. The wanton taking of life and destruction, it just grieves your spirit, doesn't it? It does mine. we got to hold that in prayer. And we have a significant sister church there. We have a seminary. We have a couple dozen congregations. And so we're kind of holding those folks in prayer at this time. We have a long Lutheran tradition in in the Ukraine. And in fact, the early potato farmers here in Idaho are Volga Deutsch. They're from that region. There were German living in Russia, in the Russia, in Ukraine, and they emigrated uh, here. So we've got some ties there. But it, it reminds us of that kind of challenge. So when you're down and it's halftime, you know, the, the pressure's on, you're losing, or you're, you don't know if you're going to win, nobody thinks you're going to win. It, to be honest, um, you know, so Herb Brooks has a great inspirational one. Um, I watched a Friday Night Lights one that was inspirational. You know, I saw one. I'm not advocating these shows or anything, but Ted Lasso, <laughs> who uh, it's, a, it's a funny show where he's a, foot, uh, a football coach. He's a soccer coach, but knows nothing about it. Uh, um, I watched, my favorite one was Hoosiers. Um, and then there's a, Ted Tebow has one, but it's mostly just shouting. But you know, those halftime, those halftime pep talks, right? It's like, hey, we're halfway through the game. We're still in it. Or, you know, it looks tough. We, let's pull it together. How are we going to go? How are we going to go after the next half? Right? How are we going to do that? The, the transfiguration, if, you're fo- if you follow the biblical story of Jesus' public ministry, comes right about at the midpoint. Right at the midpoint. And as a teacher, we know this. Midterms are t- challenging moments. Uh, energy, is, energy is starting to dissipate. Kids are anxious. How are we doing at the midpoint? We want to make that a launching point for the second half. That's our desire. It's sometimes hard um, with students. We want to make it a really an inspirational because your energy can, fly, can fail and then you got to keep going, right? How do you do it? How do you keep that energy up? And so in this point, if you look in your, if you have a Bible in the Luke passage of the transfiguration, immediately before this, is Peter's confession of Christ. So uh, when I teach this, I call it, uh, it is the midterm examination. So Jesus has three years of public ministry. This is right about halfway in the middle. And he asks them a two-question midterm exam. And it's, hey, what's the word on the street about me? What are people saying? Who who do they say that I am? And this is interesting because it'll tie to what happens on the mountain. They say, you're a, you're a prophet, a dead prophet brought back to life. So the prophets were like the celebrities and the heroes for Jews, right? 
Isaiah and Jeremiah, John the Baptist, you know, these guys. So they, Elijah, they were the celebrities. They were the heroes of their faith and of their nation. And they said, yeah, people on the street are saying, boy, you're a great prophet like Jeremiah or Isaiah. And Jesus goes, and that's kind of, I guess, pretty good praise. It's wrong, but it's, a, it, you know, not bad. Pretty good press. And then he asked the critical question because he asked it to us also. What about you? Who do you say? It all hinges on Jesus. It always does. It all hinges on Jesus. And Peter then makes that wonderful response, you're the Messiah. God promised you. You're the chosen one of God. You're the son of the living God. Peter answers. And and Jesus, Jesus says, well done. God revealed that to you. Well done. And then Jesus goes on to say what it means to be the Messiah. Now, Peter doesn't like that part very well, but he explains what it means, suffering and dying and and rising again. And so this is the midterm. And so in the midst of that announcement, you know what it means? Like they got to, hey, you're the Messiah. Yeah, I am, but the Messiah came to save you. And here's how I'm going to save you. It involves a cross and betrayal. It involves suffering and loss. How do you get them to keep going? And so Jesus brings them up to the mountain. So this is a mountaintop moment at the middle, midpoint of the ministry and the second half is about to begin. And Jesus has already taken all kinds of heat from religious leaders and from those who think that Jesus is undermining their faith. Jesus is playing fast and loose with the, with the law of God. So they've taken a lot of heat. We can, I think we can relate to this. In this moment, when your strength is, fl- is starting to fail, when your energy is tough, how do, I keep, how do I keep following? How do I keep being? You know, that's a big reason we're doing Red Letter Challenge. How do I keep being who I am in Christ? One of the powerful things in that being challenge is Uh, Pastor Zender makes a powerful statement. He says, unless we find our identity in Christ, we will never know our identity. And so that's what they're finding out here on the top of the mountain. So I want to unpack this for us because the first point of it is, I'm going to use a churchy word. I don't use religious jargon with you very much. But here's the word, theophany. Go ahead and put it in there, Ty. Theophanies, that's the plural of it. Theophany. Theophany means to see God. Times when you can see God. And so we look for those throughout the Bible. Like on Mount Sinai, they could see God surrounding the top of the mountain. When they were wandering in the wilderness, there was a pillar of fire. There was a cloud that led them. There is times when the angel of the Lord shows up. Or when God makes an appearance, we call that a theophany. And this is a theophany. Now, I've heard any number of people over the years. In fact, some of you might be sitting here today. Well, pastor, that's great. That's great. But, you know, if I saw a miracle, then I would believe. If God just revealed himself, I would believe. You know, my mother got cancer. She got a brain tumor. I prayed. Nothing happened. If God had saved my mother, I'd have believed you. Um, And it happens over and over and over. I prayed for a new job. Didn't get it. I prayed that my jerky boss would get fired. Didn't happen. I prayed that, the, that my team would win the Super Bowl or I would win the lottery. I prayed that I'd have kids that did everything I told them. Even with God, some things were impossible. Was that? 
<clears throat> but you get what I'm saying, right? Any of you heard that? Have any of you, you don't, don't raise your hand, said it? Or, or encountered that? If God would just do this, then I would believe. I got to tell you a story because after the first service, I had a couple tell me, and there were four of them. Four of our members were visiting with two other people here in town. And, they, and, and it, the conversation went around to say, and it just happened to be talking to this one couple. So are you, do you have a faith background? They just, it just entered into this conversation. They said, no, we're really atheists. And here's the interesting thing. What they had just talked about, the guy, the husband, he had the person who said he was an atheist just said he had been in a, a body surfing accident in Hawaii and about took his whole top of his head off and miraculously was saved from bleeding out. He was saved. And the other four people, our members who are believers, are sitting there saying, how can you be an atheist? I mean, in other words, it's kind of like we ask for signs. We ask for signs. Here's my point. Theophanies follow faith. Peter just said, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And they see him. What I'm telling you is, this is a great blessing. God is longing to reveal himself to the people of faith. And people of faith see him where no one else can see him. I'll give you another example. In the splash of the water to baptism, how can God be there? The people of faith see God. You come to the altar here in a, in a little bit of time, and Christ says, I will meet you here in my body and my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's only people of faith that see him there. That's a theophany. They see God revealed there. As you're reading this book, instead of seeing it as a mix of contradictions and distortions and myths, rather people look through it and say, look how God's faithfulness has been revealed to his people again and again and again. This is kind of a cool promise which God gives us. I'll give you an example. In Mount Moriah, there are two great mountains in the Old Testament, and there are others, but Mount Moriah, Mount Moriah is where Abraham took his son Isaac at one of the strangest commands ever given in the Bible. Abraham, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. Crazy. I couldn't, I don't, I don't think there's any way I could have, I think I would have disobeyed God. How could Abraham, how could Abraham do what God asked him to do? And he does, he goes, he takes, well, the author of the book of Hebrews tells us how he can do it. They tell us that the author of Hebrews says, well, Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead. Here's my point. Then you take another mountain. Let me give you a second mountain, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, Moses goes up to the top of the mountain there and God reveals himself to him, gives him his word, the Ten Commandments, gives him Charlton Heston comes down the mountain, you know. Um, but God reveals himself and he's up there a long time and there's lightning and there's smoke. It's clearly the God's up there. Moses comes down and his face is just, he's been in the presence of God and his face is just radiant, shining very much. It echoes this idea of the transfiguration. In the first mountain, Mount Moriah, Abraham was full of faith and God replaced his son with a lamb. Foreshadows, doesn't it? Foreshadows what's going to happen with Jesus. That he would not withhold his son, and neither does God, on our behalf. But it was Abraham's faith that allowed him to see the hand of God. 
In the other mountain, Mount Sinai, when Moses comes down the mountain and the people see him, what do they say? Ah, get away. I can't stand it. Instead of saying, God is in our midst. God's presence is just even being reflected in Moses. How honored are we? How blessed are we? Could we have more? And they were faithless. And they followed the idols. And they abandoned God. Faith, follow, uh, theophanies follow faith. Theophanies are given to the faithful. This is the promise that I'm telling you, folks. God longs to be revealed for you to see him wherever his grace and his gifts are given. Your faith sees God. That's what they're given. Your faith sees God and his work. Second thing is this. So one time, I was, so I was traveling to seminary. I had, we had sold our home, Teresa and I, in Seattle. We were moving to St. Louis, and I had a little tiny Mitsubishi pickup pulling a great big double-axled uh, trailer. It was absolutely idiotic, but I did it. And the transmission fell in Boise. I was there for four days getting a fix, and then off I went. I'm way behind schedule. So I am so anxious because i got to get there on time. I've got an apartment that we've got secured and all of this. I'm driving through Wyoming. Enough said. <laughs> this is the era before cell phones, before your fuel gauge actually talked to you and said, hey, dude, I need to get filled up. Or little lights came on. This is before that era. No, none of that. And it's the era when gas stations were not open 24 hours a day. So it's, and on Sunday. So I'm driving through Wyoming. This is really stupid. At 3 in the morning on a Sunday. And I'm just so, I'm, I got, I'm way behind. I've got to catch up. I'm pushing, pushing. And I, have, I do not notice that my gas gauge is way below E. So I finally notice, oh my goodness. And of course, every exit is 17 miles apart. I make it to one, gas station is closed. I get to the next one, thinking, how did I get to the next one? Closed. I finally get to the last one, I ha and I fill it up. And I think by my calculations, there was about two-tenths of a gallon left. Okay? So, but here's the cool thing. I was so anxious and praying so hard and so worried and so exhausted. I said, how in the world am I ever going to make it? But when I made it to that gas station and I filled up that tank, I was so excited and full of joy. And God was so good to me. And I was okay. Because what if I had gone by the side of the road? It's Wyoming. I might have gotten eaten by something. <laughs> and and uh, because you can't, I can't call anyone. I mean, I can't call anyone. I don't have a cell phone. There's no such things. Anyway, or there were, but they were as big as a suitcase. So I, um, so I, I filled up my tank, and I was so filled with joy, I drove the whole way to St. Louis from there without stopping. I mean, I had to get gas, but I mean, I didn't stop. I was so filled up. Let me ask you a question. Anybody empty? Anybody empty? God is longing to fill you up. This is the one of ways he does it. Now, let me tell you this, though. And Jared, thank you for that song, Empty Me. Great confession song. Because sometimes God has to empty us out so he can fill us up. Here's a mistake that I make at times. Maybe you make it too. I come to God and I say, God, I'm doing pretty good. Could you just get me over the hump here? And that's not how God works. God fills empty vessels. Empty vessels. 
So I come to him empty, and he fills me. Now, how do I get that from this text? About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him, went up onto a mountain to pray. Historically, people call it Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor is like a small bump, um, and it's almost certainly not Mount Tabor. It's almost certainly Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is 9,000 feet, and it has a ski area in, in, the, in Israel. It's up in the northern part of Israel, and it's high. Almost certainly, most biblical scholars say, based on where he was at that time, Caesarea Philippi and that area, it's Mount Hermon. I don't know. I, I don't climb mountains every day. I would be empty when I climbed the top of that mountain. You? What I think is they're empty. Jesus is getting them empty. So he can fill them up. So here's the thing. If you're feeling empty, that's not a negative thing. That's not a bad thing. It can be hard. But God may be emptying you to fill you up. So faithful people, ask God to fill. Because that's what happens next. He's transfigured before them. And his face changed. His clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. So that's, the, that's when, if, or if you're running on empty, it's time for a fill-up. God is longing to fill us up. He fills empty vessels. So if you're empty, God's just preparing the ground. Third thing, um, the being challenge. If you haven't picked up a book, we really want you to do it. This is really my dream as pastor. And I, and I, and I know Chris is on board with this too, Pastor Simmons. Sorry. Um, wouldn't, how awesome would it be if our whole grace family were doing these words of Jesus every day together. Now I'm your pastor, and I don't ask you to do much, and often you ignore me completely. But I'm asking for that, that we would be in the words of Jesus together every day. Forty days. Forty days. Do you think God might honor that? I think he would bless us, because I think we're going through a rough time, and we're emerging. And I'm just longing for us to be fed by the words of Jesus. So I'm, I'm longing for you to pick them up. We're, you don't pay for nothing. We give it to you. You want one for your friend? We'll give it to you. We, we just want those in people. And one of the sections, I'm working through it ahead of you guys. I think that's important. And then I'm going to redo it when I get to day one this week. But I'm in, this, I'm in the part on prioritizing prayer. And I've been honest with you before where prayer is um, private prayer, daily, regular prayer is hard for me. I love praying for people. Here's, here's the difference. I, I love to pray with people, um, responsive prayer. Like when I'm sitting with someone and they ask me my, their, my counsel, I'll say, let's pray. I'm, I'm, I love that. That's critical to me. I'm, I'm, react, I'm a reactive prayer. Is that bad? Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not a proactive prayer. And that's what Zach, Pastor Zender, is challenging me to do in this to prioritize prayer. He uses a great line, which you're familiar with. Prayer should be our first step, not our last resort. And it's usually, usually, it's often our last resort. And so what I'm longing to do, do you notice in this text, he brought them up on a mountain to pray. He notes it. Luke writes that. That's why they were going up the mountain. It's like Jesus saying, come on, we got to get away. So that we can really pray. There's too many distractions around here. That's a big part of my problem with prayer. i got too many distractions. So Jesus takes them up on a mountain to pray. And then it says, while they were praying. So they went up there. It wasn't false pretenses. Jesus brought them up there to pray. To be in conversation with God. To be prepared. To be filled. So God doesn't just fill them with his presence and the bright lights. 
He fills them with conversation and with prayer. And so there's a significant piece of prayer in this mountaintop moment. And you know what I think is another one? Here's another one I'm not very good at. God is faithful and God is good and he acts on my behalf and I forget to say thank you. I fail to say thank you, I should say. And so there's three pieces. I'm, I'm good at the middle part of prayer. There's a circumstance, let's pray. I'm, I'm longing to begin, and that's why I'm saying this, being challenged. It's challenging me to do it. I'm, I'm reordering. I'm, I'm taking on the challenge in which I want to pray before, not just during, and after in thanksgiving. The significance of prayer is huge in this mountaintop moment. I would contend it's part of what makes it a mountaintop moment. And so if you're looking for God to reveal himself, prayer is where we enter into conversation with him. Fourth thing. Now, Moses and Elijah show up here. Isn't that interesting? And there's some interesting textual things. How do they know it's Moses and Elijah, right? They haven't seen him on TV. And it's not like they can recognize Charlton Heston, right? It's, it's Moses. How do they know? And so we, we kind of wonder that. Is it just a mystery? Did Jesus just reveal it supernaturally? Here's what we think. Because if you want to know Jesus, listen to him talk. It's, again, why I love the Red Letter Challenge. If you want to know Jesus, and you've asked most Americans, do they care about Jesus' opinion? Yes. Do they read him? No. They want to know Jesus' opinion, they say. But they won't read him. How in the world do you think you can get to know the opinion of Jesus, unless we read, right, what he's saying. So here's what's happening if we hear what he says. So Moses and Elijah are up there. You know why? They says they're talking about Jesus' departure. The word in Greek is exodus. That's a book of the Bible. It means exit or to leave, right? Jesus exodus to Jerusalem where he's going to die and, and be raised to life. That's what's happening. They're discussing the central moment of all of Jesus' purpose, of our hope, they're discussing that. They ain't talking about the Bears game. They're not talking about what's next for lunch or what's heaven like. Or, they're not talking about any of that. They're talking about the central moment of all of human history and our destiny. What's going to happen when you go to Jerusalem? And so here's how they know because Moses is pitching in based on what he experienced. Elijah is pitching in based on what he experienced. Moses with the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And so the disciples know who it is because of what they say. With me? We recognize Jesus because of what he says. And so the fourth point here is, here's where Peter gets criticized. Have you, you, if you've read this story before, there's a little parenthetical in there. Master, it's good that we're here. Let's build three shelters. Right? We're on the mountaintop experience. We just won the Super Bowl. Let's pitch tents. Let's live here forever. And one of the traditional ways, which I agree with, that Peter is being criticized is, you don't live on the mountain. we got to go back down. You live in the valleys where the need is and where the hurt is and where we can do work and ministry. I get it. But here's another take on that. <clears throat> he says, let's make three shelters, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. What's the problem? Correct. The point is he seems to make Jesus simply equal to them. And that's a problem, my friends. Moses and Elijah are just like you and me. Sinners redeemed. People of faith. Forgiven by God's grace. 
Saints, all of us, because of our faith, because of what God has given us in Christ. Jesus stands alone. And I love that in the text, in the gospel readings on the transfiguration, in all of them, it essentially says, you know, there's this massive thing, the disciples are scared to death, and when they finally look up, they only see Jesus. That's the word for us. It's just Jesus. Jesus alone. Jesus stands apart because Moses and Elijah are not Jesus. Jesus is the author, the sustainer, and then finally the finisher of our faith. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the beginner and the ender, the completer of our faith. Last thing I want to share with you here. So Peter is saying, uh, Peter goes, it's good to be here. And then he gets ridiculed for that, right? Let me, cha- let me put that on its head for just a minute. It is good that they're there, isn't it? It's awesome. It is great that they're there, and we should celebrate that. I mean, yes, if you just want to live up there and not ever interact with the people who need Jesus most, well, yeah, that's kind of screwed up. But it is good to be there, and we should celebrate those moments when we're here at the table, when we're celebrating baptism, where we're remembering how God has accomplished victory on our behalf. We should celebrate those moments, and we shouldn't forget them, and we should remember them. And here's the thing. Because it is good to be here. You know why it's good to be there? Because Jesus is there. And so wherever Jesus is, that's where it's good to be. And so as Jesus goes down the mountain, as the disciples go down the mountain, Jesus never abandons them. Jesus walks with them. And in fact, I'll finish with this thought. The greatest mountaintop moments for Jesus come in the valley. As he walked down into the valley of the shadow of death, as he walked down into suffering and passion, and as he came as a substitute for us on that tiny little mountain we call Mount Calvary, that was the greatest theophany of all, where God can be seen most clearly is in the cross. The cross which is not just for you, but for the whole world. To God be the glory. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.